from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. This ain't by design, girl. Take it softer, you know. I'm out my mind, girl. Don't make this harder. Come and light my fire, baby. How much longer till December? Say what you Friday, April 3rd, the year is 2020. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee. I'm coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Meanwhile, down there in Orlando, Florida, this is behind the scenes. This is the earliest he has woken up since before. <laughs> it's since, since primary school. It's our illustrious producer, Chandler String. That's kind of true. Hello. <laughs> Chandler, haven't you just been up all night? Isn't this usually? It's, it's 8 a.m. It's 8 on Friday morning, isn't this about the time where you're turning, turning in. winding down Tiger yeah. King yeah, yeah. And, and getting ready for bed? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you, 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 this is about the time where where Chandler usually just lies in bed, getting ready to to fall into slumber, thinking about whether Carol Baskins <laughs> fed a, a man to tigers. <laughs> Carol did it, man. Carol did it. I'm convinced. <laughs> Justice for Carol. <laughs> There's not one character on that show. Yeah. Who isn't the most fascinating person I've That's ever so met? True. You watch it, you so know? You, you even the reality. A full yeah. movie about any of them. Yeah, a full docu series. Yeah, exactly. they, they picked Joe Exotic, exactly. but it didn't have to be Joe. We'll, we'll, we'll jump into the Tiger King talk here in a sec, I guess. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, up there in Loveland, Virginia, he's up a little earlier than usual, but just because he's been trying to figure out prices on those tigers, it's our friend Jesse Carey. <laughs> hello, hello. You'd be surprised what you what kind of deals you can get out there. The dark web for a couple of Bitcoin. Before we get, before we, we'll, we'll talk Tiger King, uh, but we do. Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Later on this show, we have a guy you guys may have heard of named Lecrae is going to be joining us. He's got an album coming oh, wow. out here. He's got some quarantine listening coming up here. Talk to him a little bit about that, about his recent trip to Israel, and uh, and also about a new documentary he's got coming out, movie about his own life and uh, and some of his mental health uh, struggles and how he's overcome some of them. Uh, but before we get to that we probably do need to talk about do you think do you guys think that if we weren't all stuck inside right now that tiger king would be the same in the same zeitgeist it was great timing on their part though i mean accidentally so but accidentally great yeah. timing. well and like you've seen a and and again uh, you know there's i guess there's no point in prefacing this we're obviously taking the uh stay-at-home orders and the quarantines and 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 everything that goes along with the this this pandemic very seriously but i do feel like making kind of objective cultural observations about uh, how entertainment studios and how entertainment consumers are reacting to the mm-hmm. the sudden, rapid, radical change in everyone's lifestyle where everyone's just home all the time. Yeah. No one's going out yeah. at night and doing mm-hmm. stuff. I feel like that's so fair game. And I do feel like so, you know, right when right when the initial kind of quarantine stuff came through, you know, I know in my household and probably a lot of households for, for people who listening who are listening when Disney announced that they were going to go ahead and release uh, Frozen 2 uh, to Disney Plus, like months sure. ahead of schedule, that was a big deal. My kids have watched Frozen 2. Oh, 
<laughs> if you're a Frozen 2 fan, you know what that sound is. You know what that horrible, horrible sound is. It's it's that that voice out in the out across the the ice bay is it, it provides the, the primary plot point for the film. Um, okay. The character trying to find the source of it, but um, uh, so you know, so it's like okay, this is going to be a unique time for entertainment, and then studios that had um the- theatrical releases scheduled uh especially the big ones like james bond and 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 recently they announced that uh the new top gun was being bumped um mm-hmm. you know the the new fast and furious movie was being bumped and so it was like oh well i guess they're just gonna hold all of this and then studios started releasing some of their like mid-market movies straight to like on demand so that you could pay like 20 bucks and watch like that movie where rich people hunt people for for, for $20 early unfortunate timing unfortunate timing yeah yeah for for the hunt or whatever that movie's called but uh, but $20? then yeah yeah i think i think i think the price point was about $20 to watch what was supposed to be a theatrical release uh you know right at your home the night it was released it's an interesting model wow. you know and there are some movies that i think i would rather pay $20 and watch at home when it releases than go to the theater the night because i you're going to at least end up paying 20 bucks right if you and someone else you know you and your bud or or your spouse or, or a loved one end up going to the movies you're going to spend over 20 bucks so if like yeah. the new fast and furious movie comes out and you're going to see it you know there's a case to be made that it's just easier to pay the 20 bucks and watch it at home but uh, yeah, yeah there uh, obviously movies are a lot of fun to watch in the theater, but fast forward, Netflix drops Tiger King onto America, which is the craziest docu series I have ever seen. It almost yeah. it, it wouldn't even work as a work of fiction because no one would believe the twist. Like yeah. I feel like you hear the stranger than fiction, you know, that that sounds like hyperbole. It is the weirdest thing. Like you couldn't sit mm-hmm. down and write this film. Like there yeah. is like every person in this docu series, like we're saying at the beginning of the show, is the most interesting person I've ever met. And I'd like to think that I've met some characters in my day, but I've never <laughs> met any character just like just people that are like adjacent to the story. Like the guy who pops in just for a couple scenes and he's got like the whitest of white hair. He's got like a Gandalf beard and he's just blasting through the Florida countryside on a motorcycle. And the only reason he's in the film is because he uncovers this old VHS tape of, of a character um, who, who is plays a Carol Baskins, who, who plays a large role in the film of her in her younger days. And, and this, this VHS tape seemingly displays some of her hypocrisies when it comes to tiger care. But yeah. even those characters are the most interesting people in the world. Like, I don't know how long they've been sitting on Tiger King or if the the executives in like the Netflix boardroom is like, the, it, it is it is all wait, aligning. It is all it. Yeah. wait for know, it. Wait <laughs> for it. You know, and it's like now. I saw it before quarantine. Like I it was it was like as oh. all this stuff is ramping up. I had not heard. We talked about it I before not, quarantine, Jesse. Yeah, I had not oh, heard did anybody we? talk like I had not heard anything about it. I just saw it like on netflix new releases and yeah. it was like all right you know i like documentaries i like documentary series so i just hit play not knowing what was going to happen you know what i mean like not knowing like mm-hmm. what i was getting into and yeah. watch the entire thing straight like Would you watch all, se- all, yeah. all all seven in one sitting yeah because every episode or uh, you know each episode is just like 
and more mind blowing than last, you know? Yeah. Like so, I can't I can't tell you how many times I was like, oh what? Like yeah. out loud by myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and I want to preference the listeners. This isn't if you haven't watched Out Your King, if you're one of the few people who haven't started, they should know it, it is not for the faint of heart. Like there is yeah. a lot of yeah. amusement, but this show gets dark fast. Yeah. Oh, amusement for sure. is, is a weird amusement is a weird word. For, I mean, there is yeah. early on. You're just kind of like, like who are these weirdos? Yeah, but uh, but then it, 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 I'd say episode three, maybe things take a turn for new territory. Yeah, uncharted territory for in any media that I've ever seen, and definitely in any people I've ever. Yeah, met. yeah, yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> weird and dark, and but but I I do wonder. I think your point is is valid. Like, would it be the cultural phenomenon that it is if everyone wasn't stuck at home? Not just looking for something to watch, but all of like the other thing that would dominate TV if everyone was home is I, I think it's fair to say is sports. You know, we we miss March. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they canceled March Madness. Mm -hmm. We would be right now. You know, it's a very important NBA game to determine the playoff seating. Uh, the the Masters is coming up. Um, uh, opening day for baseball, like arguably one of the biggest stretches for sports in the sports calendar. And that's all canceled. So people don't even have yeah. that to watch. So right. if they weren't all stuck in front of their televisions with not much else on, I think it is fair. Or the only thing else on is coronavirus. It's people talking about the coronavirus is every yeah. news station. It's just people just talking about the coronavirus and, and people look, man, people should stay informed. I get it, but you need a break. But would Tiger King mm -hmm. be the hit that it was if it wasn't for, you know, the strange circumstances we find ourselves in? I don't know. I don't I mean, know. I think it'd be popular, but and they, yeah, yeah, I do too. I don't. I also wonder this because did you see that they've greenlit it for a adaptation for a for oh. a TV series, oh, a TV oh. miniseries, which I think is a pointless thing. Like yeah. you can't. Why? Like why? why? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. They, they got Kate McKinnon playing Carol already. They they, oh. they signed her. They signed oh, really? Kate McKinnon, oh, which that. is pretty good casting. Yeah, which is good casting. Yeah. How straight? Um, how straight are they playing it though? Well, that's the question. I don't know how you. Because Kate McKinnon's not really known idea. for her like dramatic, you know. Yeah. I don't think it's a good idea unless you you take a really different turn on it than the show did. Like if you focused on a different, because you could focus on a different character, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. you could just try to illuminate, which could maybe be. But it's no longer Tiger King at that point. It's no longer Tiger. Yeah, King. but it's not Tiger King. It's the Carol Baskin store or whoever you know, whoever you want. But I think that I also think people are just bored in Hollywood. Like they're yeah. like sure. Greenlighted. I don't care. Well, well, I mean, going er, on. early on, there was that debate on Twitter between Edward Norton and Dak Shepard about which one of them should be cast in an eventual adaptation to play uh -huh. Tiger King, which I don't really see either of them being that great of a fit. I, I mean, either. Dax has I a either. resemblance and but I and, and I have nothing against Dak Shepard, I, but I think he's a better podcaster than he is an actor. Like I, 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 do too. I, I, I think his show Armchair Expert is excellent, excellent, excellent. And this isn't a shade on his acting ability. I just don't see him as the person to bring a character like this to life. You know who I would pick? All right, real quick, a rallying table. I've got, I've got my pick. I've got my pick. Okay. Okay. Ch Chandler, be be thinking. It's me and Tyler will go then. For Chandler uh, for for for. Joe Exotic. I feel like that's oh, who we got to cast. Like, if you have to cast Joe Exotic, Tyler, right. let me hear yours and I'll tell you mine. And then I want to hear what Chandler okay. thinks. I don't want to be taken. I don't want to be uh, taking anybody else's. Okay. Um, but I think my pick is uh, 
is get Daniel Craig in full on like Logan Lucky mode. Yeah. Or uh, like, like get, get, cause he likes to go a little he bit likes like to do Southern, Southern American South. Yeah. And I think he could, he bleach his hair and I, I think he could pull it up. I think he could do this. I, I, I think he could do it and I think he would do it because it seems like he actively looks for characters that are the opposite of James Bond. <laughs> like he I likes to undermine, <laughs> he likes to undermine the James Bond. He, he seems to openly resent being James Bond for some reason. Like it, it's <laughs> really does. It's, it's arguably, <laughs> it's the, really it, true. It, I mean, it's arguably the best role in Hollywood. You know, like mm-hmm. I, if you could say Most sought after. if you could either be James Bond, Batman or a member of, of the Avengers, I think I think the choice is James Bond. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Batman legacy. Yeah. Batman come and go. You remember every James Bond, you know, and and the franchise just seems to get better. They hire better and better directors. You know, the you know, Sam Mendes, who just directed 1917, you know, this procedural. He did <laughs> Skyfall like they actively. So but it is weird how Daniel Craig and Logan Lucky uh, uh, knives out like he likes to he likes to play weird Southerners. You know, uh, I appreciate I, I admire it. I, I admire it. He's got like two lanes. Yeah. James Bond. And like crusty, deep fried, like backwoods Southern Hicks, which is a which is a culture he has zero connection zero. to. He's a British. He, <laughs> he's like he's a high society British guy. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like he's yeah. not that. He's much closer in real life to a James Bond than he is mm-hmm. to uh, uh, Joe Exotic. My pick. And uh, Chandler, I want to hear yours after this. My pick yeah. to cast for for Joe Exotic. I feel like this role was made for Danny McBride. Like Danny uh, McBride, yeah, sure. Sure, Danny, yeah. every character Danny McBride yeah. plays is almost Joe Exotic anyway. Yeah, like, yeah true, true. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just a shade. everything just a shade he is, away. is this kind of weird outsider, whether it's, you know, from Eastbound and Down, whether it's from Righteous Gemstones or, or just some of like the Seth Rogen movies he's done. He plays these kind of outsiders with a chip on their shoulder so well. And I feel like him... And Jody Hill, Jody Hill is his filmmaking partner. You know, they kind of came up mm-hmm. together and, and and wrote a lot together. You know, they're co-creators of Righteous Gemstones and a lot of the uh, and a lot of Danny McBride's work that he's known for. But I feel like they did grow up in this. You know, they grew up in South Carolina. You know, South Carolina plays a big role in Tiger King. I feel yeah. like they know the culture. And Chandler, you could see Danny McBride pulling off a Joe Exotic, right? I mean, an adaptation or like a version of Joe Exotic. So I would Uh say my uh, choice would be, and because it's kind of, they've already played this role, something similar 20 years ago, uh, but David Spade. Because essentially, it's kind of Joe Dirt, but like an an aged version of it in a slightly different uh, lane or whatever, but... Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, we can only, I, I, I'm hesitant. I don't see why this even needs to be adapted, but you know, let's let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Everyone's going to watch it. You know, if it's a, I think that's the thing. (laughs) They don't, they don't really care if the adaptation is good. They just know like everyone's going to watch it out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. True. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, <laughs> I hope I hope we didn't lose all the non-Tiger King watchers <laughs> early on. It, it's it is worth watching. It is a it's it is a little bit. We, we started out on relevant after dark talking about Tiger King, even though this is maybe the earliest we've ever recorded this podcast. Yeah, I think it's because <laughs> yeah. most of us fell asleep watching or rewatching it, trying to figure it out. But again, 
<laughs> Warning, it is not for the faint of heart. That everything objectionable, <laughs> you know, it checks all the boxes of, uh, of violence, profanity. But in, in terms of like a, a, the most interesting study of weird human subjects, it, it and, you know, I don't feel like I was talking to I was talking to my wife about this. You know, as as fun as like all the novelties of the show are, as fun as it is to watch these crazy tigers and these people, you know, do crazy things. It is it is at its core. It's a show about the uh, the very, very at times fine line between admiration and exploitation. Uh, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the characters in this series, not just with their love of like exotic animals, which they admire, but also, you know, to different degrees, exploit for their own, uh, you know, profit, but also how yeah. the same people seem to mirror that in the, all the meaningful relationships in their life. Every character in there seems to have this unhealthy uh, you know, admiration for the for the for the significant people in their life that that admiration quickly twin, turns to exploitation. And I feel yeah. like as a as a human character study about what happens when you know uh, that that admiration goes unchecked and allows people to exploit the exploit the people in their lives that they admire and appreciate. I do feel like that is uh, a, a, the interesting kind of subtext of the series that you know, applies to a lot of stuff, not just for people raising exotic tigers, but I feel like you see this in the church a lot too, you know, you know, uh, you know, pastors or, or, or leaders will find people in their congregations who they, who they admire for different reasons, but end up getting exploited or, you know, end up getting burned out or Christians will, you know, find these leaders that they admire and, you know, and and want to kind of put on a pedestal, but end up kind of exploiting them for different reasons. I feel like at its core, the subtext is very interesting, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's something that the uh, Christians are really guilty of this. And we at Relevant try to be very mindful of this, uh, how easy it is for, especially when you have somebody who was already kind of a celebrity in some other lane yeah. and becomes a Christian. And I don't, I don't doubt, you know, I don't, I'm not skeptical of people's claims when that happens, but they're rushed to platform them very quickly as a leader and a spokesperson within the church, because it's like, we got one, we, you know, we, yeah. we got a, we got somebody who's got a voice and a platform when in reality they're, you know, they're still very new to this and it can be very damaging and harmful. I think to somebody's very young faith to be put in a position of leadership or authority before they before they know much about it. And I, I think that we as a church are often guilty of that. And, and like I said, that's something that we've obviously have a lot of opportunities to do it relevant and try to be very ca- careful about yeah. because uh, because it's hard to be a Christian and yeah. it's hard to be a Christian leader and yeah. it's not for everybody. And just because you come in with some sort of platform or notoriety doesn't mean that it's necessarily time or right for that to happen. You know, just let these people go to church. Yeah, exactly. And obviously a show like Tiger King looks at sort of the extreme ends of the spectrum when it comes to, you know, human behavior, but at its core, it, it is a character study and, and what it's studying mm-hmm. is our propensity uh, to exploit the people we love or, or or when when money and fame enter the picture, people's capacity to exploit the people they love and admire and for the line between, like I said, that the admiration and exploitation to get very, very blurry. And I do feel like that that is something that needs to be explored and talked about in in, in a lot of different ways in the church, too. 
Well, that's, Tiger, that's our Tiger King banner for your uh, <laughs> for the podcast. We are going to take a quick break when we come back. The hot list. I'm tired of the city screaming for me. If I'm gonna die, let's die so much You're listening to Take Yourself Home by Troy Sivan. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard a gospel for a new century from Eve's tumor. All right, time for our weekly look back at the top five stories at the intersection of faith and culture that came across to our desk this week. It's time for... It's the hot list, the hot list. It's All right, number five this week. A Tampa Bay pastor has been arrested for holding services during the COVID-19 lockdown. All right, so police had warned Rodney Howard Brown, pastor of the River at Tampa Bay Church, about the dangers of holding Sunday services at his Florida megachurch. But Howard Brown defied the self-distancing guidelines and held two large services, even busing people in. He has since been arrested on misdemeanor charges of unlawful assembly and violating quarantine orders during a public health emergency. On Friday, the county had ordered all gatherings, including those of a religious nature, be limited to 10 or fewer participants in an attempt to stop the spread of the coronavirus. State law allows violations of the order to be punishable by up to 60 days in jail, a maximum fine of $500 or both. Um, as Hillsborough Sheriff Chad Cronister said in, our press, uh, in a press briefing, quote, because of the reckless disregard of public safety and after repeated requests and warnings, I worked with our state attorney, Andrew Warren, to obtain a warrant for unlawful assembly in violation of public health emergency rules, both of which are second degree misdemeanors. Our goal here is not to stop anyone from worshiping, but the safety and well-being of our community must always come first. Cronister even said members of his legal staff and command staff went to the church before the services in an attempt to explain the social distancing guidelines and the laws around the ord. But but uh, Howard Brown had declined to meet with them. He was booked at the county jail and went free about 40 minutes later after posting bond. Right Wing Watch reports that Howard Brown had spread several conspiracy theories about COVID-19 from the pulpit, telling congregants that it was somehow both a, quote, phantom plague created by the Chinese and the product of a sinister plot from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that I, last one. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen. I've seen a Tiger King quote twist. Yeah, the the end of the episode twist. You got to fire up the next one right away. <laughs> yeah, right away. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Bill and Melinda Gates? How are they made up by Bill Gates? Wow. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to unpack in this one, and I want to like proceed with caution because I feel like this this is a story that rides an interesting line of the 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 pra some practical realities and ideological uh principles that uh are interesting to navigate tally do you have a take on this and then i, I, I and then you know i can give my my piece but i want to hear what, what are your thoughts on this man so i'm going to say i mean you know my uh, we've, we've sort of talked about our own personal convictions here right like yeah. the Stay at home order is a good thing. Stopping the spread of the coronavirus Absolutely. is a good thing. And yeah. so my personal my personal belief here, because I understand there's a broader issue here than just personal conviction. Yeah. Um, 
which is like the legal ramifications of something like this. Uh, should the government be able to tell churches to to stop getting gathering together and arresting, however briefly in this case, uh, a pastor first pastor who refused to abide by that order? And I do think that that this is a something that you want the government in times of a of a national crisis of a pandemic emergency. Uh, desperate times do call for desperate measures, and I think it sounds to me, based on the reports that we're seeing, like the government in this the state uh, or the county, I guess, really did try. In this case, they made they made multiple attempts to talk with him, to try to work with him, to figure out a way that there could be some sort of compromise. And he declined to meet with them or discuss the any possibility of that with them. So I would say in this case, I, I do feel like the right move was made here. That's my conviction yeah. on this. Desi, what do you think? I, I well, I, I ultimately agree with you, and I and I think all I think churches in particular have a responsibility to show in a practical way what loving your neighbor looks like in a moment like this, where uh, we 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 should take all actions possible to you know prevent people who are you know, immune compromise or elderly or, 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 you know, could suffer serious consequences of the coronavirus and, and COVID-19 uh, to prevent them from getting it. I think it's the responsible and moral thing to do. Okay. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't, I don't want what I'm going to say next to diminish that at all. You know, I have some people very, you know, Tyler's, you know, very close to me who recently um, tested positive for COVID-19 yeah. and it's a serious situation. And, and I, I don't want other people to put, be putting that to that situation. Um, <clears throat> But I do think there is a conversation to be had. Uh, and, and this isn't a defense of Rodney Howard Brown, who clearly is, uh, you know, not someone who I want to be aligned with endorsing, you know, spreading weird conspiracy theories from the pulpit. But I do think there are conversations to be had about um, the suspension of basic civil liberties that are protected by the Constitution. And if you read the the first few amendments of the Constitution, the, the, you know, obviously, along with like freedom of the press and freedom of speech, freedom of religion and the right to assemble, you know, are right there. And there is a conversation to be had about what the what power the government has to suspend those, especially on a county level. You know, this was a county. This wasn't a state decision. It wasn't a federal decision. It was just county officials saying we're going to arrest you if you assemble. I understand. I understand they're doing what they feel like is best to protect their community. And and I agree with their decision, but I don't feel like it's unfair for people to raise concerns about how overnight mm-hmm. civil liberties can be suspended. Um, and, and even the quote from the sheriff, I don't agree with our goal. He, he says the safety and well-being of our community always must always come first. I don't agree with that. Like, I, I don't think safety and well-being always come first. I, I think there are cases to be made where I, I you know, the, the, the local sheriff shouldn't be his main concern shouldn't be my safety and well-being. His main concern should be protecting my rights and protecting the rights of my fellow citizens. You know, protecting safety and well-being coming first over over our protected freedoms 
that that's a I, I hate even saying slippery slope, but that's a slippery slope to authoritarianism. You see what happened in places like China, where it's like, well, we can do this because safety and well-being comes first. So, you know what I mean? Or, or in a lot of authoritarian countries, I don't think that is is the role of all government officials to put safety and well-being uh, uh, first, because then you could I mean, if that's your philosophy, you could you could take a lot of different approaches and say, well, it's it's unsafe to eat this kind of food. Well, you know what I mean? It's if safety and well-being come first, then what's stopping? Uh, you know, I'm not trying to be paranoid, but I'm trying to I'm trying to take an ideological approach here. You know, who dictates what's safe and, and what's well-being? And I mean, this is a, an issue that I feel like times were very different. But even our founding fathers had some concerns about, you know, this is this is going to sound hyperbolic. But but again, I'm, I'm just talking on an ideological level, because I think on, the, on in this case, the officials made the right decision. But, you know, when Benjamin Franklin talked about, you know, he who trades temporary security deserves neither liberty nor security. Like, I, I, I'm not saying churches should go on and have their their services. I think that's an irresponsible and even immoral decision right now. But I do think I think when all the when the dust settles on all of this, there needs to be a discussion about when the suspension of civil liberties, especially ones concerning uh, concerning religion, you know, can go into effect and what the penalties will be for people who violate it. Uh, you know, Tyler, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on yeah. that? I had I had a hunch we might disagree on this one, Jesse, and that's uh, I think the the. And again, the, I think uh, at the, the core, we, we, we agree. We, we agree that, yeah, that we they agree on what the and, right and, choice we agree on what the pastor should have done. And, and, and I actually agree with law enforcement in their action. I don't agree with their case for the act. I don't agree with his statement, mm-hmm. but I agree that he they, they they had a duty to put a stop to this. Right. But I do mm-hmm. think it's not unfair to also have a conversation of where's the line with this type of action, you know? I think that uh, that the counties, it, it is that I've, and I think this is just a, like a kind of a fundamental difference in like the what the role of government should be. Like, is it about protecting individual liberty or the the overall common good? Yeah, and uh, those those are two different things, and they get pitted against each other a lot, and that's why you want responsible leaders making these decisions. Uh, and what we've seen and can definitely see examples of around the globe in places like Hungary right now where the coronavirus, uh, pan- where the pandemic is being used for massive government overreach and, and really mm-hmm. creeping fascism. Yeah, that's definitely a real concern. And and I'm glad that uh, that uh, whatever differences of opinion people might have about what's happening in the U.S. right now, I don't think we're looking at what you would call a a creeping dictatorship or anything no. like that. No, not uh, not at all. Right but- now, and I understand people's concerns about the slippery slope that some of these things could raise, but I also think that's why we have the things that have been enacted so far are things that uh, that are in place to protect the overall common good overall common well-being of a community instead of individuals and uh and so i do support so i do support this argument but but i understand but i've seen but i've seen other people with takes like yours jesse and i I understand it i guess i just disagree about the role of the the role of the state in this case And, and again i think they took the right decision i i think they walked a fine line and came out on the right side of it i don't want people to misconstrued what i'm saying i'm just saying 
I do think after all of this is said and done, and this could be a new global reality, right? That these pandemics can can happen. This is a new reality that we as humanity are going to have to deal with. And that's where I feel like larger conversations need to happen about, uh, you know, what types of civil liberties can be, uh, you know, suspended with enforceable uh, actions. Again, I'm not saying they took the wrong action. I think they did. I think what Rodney Howard Brown did was selfish and reckless, period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know what I'm saying? After this is said and done, if this is a new, it's just like after, you know, 9-11, our reality changed and we had to have a conversation about civil liberties. Like we had to have a conversation about uh, intelligence gathering, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that was, you know, on paper, what Edward Snowden or someone like, you know, a whistleblower like him exposed, you, you know, I don't think the NSA had nefarious motivations for for spying on the American people. I think they were trying to protect the American people from homegrown domestic terrorism, right? But it mm-hmm. also opened up a conversation of what that looks like and where some of these policies could lead if they left unchecked. That's all that that, that mm-hmm. that's kind of the point I'm trying to make, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, that is fair. I would love to hear some readers' thoughts on this, actually, mm-hmm. some some listeners, because I know it's a complicated conversation. Yeah. And, uh, there are probably some people out there who are better equipped than me, at least, to weigh in on this. Yeah. And, um, and like, and my, my view of libertarianism isn't that far, you know, I'm not like some expert, and I wouldn't even consider myself <laughs> a, a, a libertarian. I'm about at Joe Exotic's level on this. And, <laughs> and as we can see, I'm just armchairing it, you know. But I, I, I'm just saying from a, from a philosophical and ideological standpoint, I do think after all is said and done, a conversation of what managing crisis is like look like is a fair one to have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tried to go up and down on these uh, good news, bad news on the hot list this week in my ranking. Of, we'll see how I did. Number four this week, church attendance is up, but giving is down during pandemic season. So the COVID-19 pandemic has churches around the world scrambling to rethink the practical realities of church and more existential questions of what church even is when you take away the Sunday service. Barna has been keeping an eye on American churches since the coronavirus lockdown began. And now the research firm has released its preliminary findings over at Religion News Service. In short, attendance has gone up, virtually speaking, but financial giving is taking a hit. So I thought this was interesting. By the second week of the national emergency, 60% of pastors surveyed reported the crisis was taking some toll on their congregations, as opposed to just a little. Unsurprisingly, a mere 7% of pastors said their churches weren't offering any online services. And the virtual services are paying off. 54% of pastors reported a higher online attendance than their usual in-person attendance. And a quarter said they were seeing much higher attendance. Uh, 64% of pastors said they see their role as, quote, communicating a message of faith and hope to people in the middle of the crisis. And uh, 42%, not a majority, but but a pretty healthy number, said they've seen their congregation's faith grow in response to the emergency. Now, that hasn't really translated to a financial windfall. 80% of pastors report that giving is down. 47% say it is down significantly. Uh, nevertheless, 95% of pastors surveyed said they believe their churches will survive all of this. Um, so that's pretty, that's optimistic and that's good. I was really surprised personally that they're seeing more people show up for church online than they were seeing. It, it shouldn't be that surprising, I guess, because it's, you remove one of the big obstacles. Yeah. Uh, you can just roll out of bed, bed and go to church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to put on pants to go to church. 
and hopefully all of this is like a net positive for local churches. You know, ultimately more people will be, you know, hearing the gospel and, and being plugged in. I, I think, um, obviously I think there's benefits to going to church in person when you can, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with attending online, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I do think a lot of people don't like, I know a lot of people who have been ordering from like local restaurants are, are, are mm-hmm. for, rightly mm-hmm. so like tipping well and wanting to support, you know, local businesses in their communities that, um, you know, are suffering because of this crisis. But I do think sometimes it's easy to forget, man, churches employ a lot of people too. And if we stop tithing, you know, you risk the livelihood of people who are work for churches that just because we don't attend, I do think people should still obviously tithe and support their churches Absolutely. because it, it's not just keeping the lights on in a building. It, you know, this is people's livelihoods and their, 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 you know, kind of financial security is at risk to a lot of families, financial security is at risk too. So I do think giving right now is really important. And plus, guys, I heard a really great sermon online this weekend. It was about Bill and Melinda Gates, Area (laughs) Area 51, Monsanto, and you're not going to believe this, Carol Baskins, okay? It's unbelievable stuff. Uh, Mind-blowing stuff that I heard from the pulpit about all of what's going on. So... <laughs> well, we appreciate the bastards out there of all stripes and all belief systems and all uh, beliefs about the true origins of this pandemic. <laughs> and uh, keep us updated. Number three this week. Uh, so this this is an interesting one that I hope people are talking about. Rikers Island is poised to be one of the major coronavirus tragedies in the U.S. So last Thursday, New York-based criminal justice advocacy group Brooklyn Defender Services called on local lawmakers to release the inmates of Rikers Island following reports of a COVID-19 outbreak in the prison where inmates are kept in close quarters in dangerous conditions. So far, 75 inmates and 45 jail staff members have tested positive for the disease with many more awaiting test results and infected persons being detained next to healthy and elderly people. Rikers is shaping up to be a potential tragedy in the making. In a written statement, Brooklyn Defender Services sounded the warning that COVID-19 poses not just to inmates, but to staff and the city at large if actions are not taken to protect inmates. They wrote, quote, for weeks, we have joined defenders, advocates, incarcerated people, medical professionals and elected officials to warn of the grave risks that an outbreak of COVID-19 in jails and prisons poses to incarcerated people, staff and all New Yorkers. As the virus spreads like wildfire through Rikers, we worry that every hour that passes brings us closer to disaster and death, whether inside the facilities or shortly after release. Given the high infection rate in jails to date, we fear that no one in the jails, whether incarcerated people or staff, is safe. The organization published accounts it's received of incarcerated people being denied medical service due to a shortage of resources, overflowing sewage, which can spread the novel coronavirus, and a lack of soap and other sanitation supplies due to citywide shortages. There are a little over 5,000 people serving sentences on Rikers. Of those, 551 are serving less than a year for low-level offenses, 666 are serving time for a technical parole violation, and 811 are serving time for a crime that probably would have been processed as a misdemeanor, except for their status as a parolee. That's why Dr. Robert Cohen, who sits on the New York City Board of Correction, told Slate, quote, in New York City, there are a lot of people locked up in small, dirty places who don't have to be. So the notion that they would st- they should stay Day, and the people who are responsible for caring for them medically from a security perspective are going to be exposed to unnecessary life-threatening risks doesn't make sense. 
Brooklyn Defender Services and other lawmakers and advocates have called for releasing inmates, and experts agree that many of the inmates could be easily released and should be for the safety and well-being of all involved. I think the the reason this story is interesting to me is because it's so easy to stop worrying about uh, other ongoing issues when you've got this urgent crisis, right? It kind of snaps your perspective into place and all of a sudden you're focused rightfully so on, on your own health and, and your own safety. And I know that everybody that's listening is doing their part, but things like uh, issues in the criminal justice system are ongoing and are in fact are heightened by this same issue. Uh, they, they're urgent. What's happening there in Rikers is urgent as well. And um, we it's important that we remember. And, and I talked to actually our guest Lecrae about this a little bit coming up because he has a real heart and passion for people who are uh, incarcerated, for inmates, for the incarcerated. And uh, I really hope that we're all continuing that we remember the, the same passions, the same issues that you cared about back in February three years ago, are uh, those are still real issues, and uh, and in many cases those issues are are facing their own new and nuanced challenges. And insofar as you can, I hope that we're all still giving to and and praying for those same things. Yeah, and criminal justice reform I think remains one of the major issues that Christians should be concerned about, especially in this country. Um, and when you look at uh, drug laws and sentencing laws and and how they disproportionately affect certain communities and certain demographics. And, and you just look at the numbers. It's cause for real concern. And an issue like this, where a concerning issue becomes an immediate crisis because the health of all of these inmates is at risk. And you look at, like you said, Tyler, the reason why some of these people are behind bars in the first place is questionable. You know, a lot of these are low level, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nonviolent drug offenders um, who would probably do better in rehab than some, you know, rundown jail that's just gonna, you know, any, any kind of social, mental or dependency issues they had going in are probably just going to be made worse by putting in this horrible situation. I think it, it, it you know, creates a lot of urgency for, for us to yeah. reconsider yeah. Uh, what we do to people who have, uh, you know, been found guilty of violating some law. Do we really care? Is it really, uh, you know, a correctional facility or is it a punishment facility? Like, it, what, mm. what, what are we doing here, America? Are we trying to punish people? Or are we actually trying to correct behavior and rehabilitate people? You know, are we trying mm. to rehabilitate people or are we just trying to lock them away and, and give them, you know, these insane punishments that, that threaten their, their health? You know, it, it, you know, going back to the Rodney Howard Brown you know, thing. If Christians are concerned about churches, y- y- you know, being being able to meet, and y- we should be concerned about the health and well being of of citizens of this country who have been placed behind bars for you know questionable reasons in a lot of cases. And just because yeah. you commit a, a, a you know a crime, that's not a death sentence. You shouldn't be forced. Shouldn't you be. know, like we should like if you're in prison or or incarcerated. You, your health and well-being should be the primary responsibility of the people that are that are have incarcerated you. Yeah, it's a concerning situation for sure. Uh, <laughs> we're taking it. We're taking an upswing here. This is, I, I like this story. Number two, uh, Guy Fieri 
is launching a fund to give $500 to every restaurant worker affected by the pandemic. Uh, so as I'm sure everybody knows, partisan wrangling has slowed down the federal stimulus check Americans will be receiving to offset some of the economic tolls of self-quarantine. But Flavortown is a benevolent dictatorship, which means its overlord can get his financial relief out in streamlined fashion. Even if that streamlined Guy- fashion involves racing stripes and frosted tips. <laughs> <laughs> That's the definition of streamlined fashion. Like, listen to this guy is doing his level best to keep the service industry afloat by getting $500 to any restaurant worker affected by the pandemic. He's teaming up with the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation to create what's called the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund. The fund is raising money to give a one-time $500 grant to all impacted workers. According to People Magazine, applicants need to have worked in the restaurant industry for at least 90 days, have the restaurant businesses be their primary source of income, and have seen their wages decrease or lost their job on or after March 10th. You can start get, sending your applications in uh, yesterday, April 2nd. So if you're listening and this is you, uh, get on top of this. Yeah. Pierre said in a release, my entire career has been in the restaurant business from busing tables to flambe captain. Can you imagine? The flambe captain to dishwasher to chef. I have done it all. I've also spent the better part of the last 15 years. You'd have to have to imagine his voice here. Traveling this great country and meeting other folks who've dedicated their lives to this business. And let me tell you something. They are the hardest working, most real deal workers you've ever met. The heartbeats of their communities. But they need our help. And with Restaurant Relief America, we can serve up some support when these restaurant employees need it most right now. So let me tell you why I like this. Because I feel like Guy kind of, he, he was an early celebrity chef. Yeah. And then he took a hit early on because like the Bourdain's, like the way cooler celebrity chefs started yeah. coming up. And, you know, they were the new rock stars. They were tatted out and they yeah. could travel. And they didn't, and they didn't, look, like, not, they didn't look like a 90s Hot Topic exploded on them. like Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and guy kept doing his thing and i don't think i want to eat guys cooking too much based on what i've seen it's a lot really of donkey, donkey sauce. sauces it's heavy it's yeah, heavy donkey sauce need, i'm not interested not interested but i'm uh but i do but uh, he has always seen whenever there's any sort of national emergency we report on this guy is there and he is making food for people and he's giving it away for free. And uh, I, it may not be the food they necessarily want to eat at that time, but, but, <laughs> but they, but they get it on the house from Guy Fieri. Yeah. And now he's trying to do no small thing. There's a lot of restaurant workers who have taken a real financial hit and $500 isn't a ton of money. If you don't have any other income, Still, but it's not it's, nothing, it, it, but, but it's not nothing. And it, when it's for everybody, that's a huge undertaking that he's launched. And uh, so I'm, so I've given the, the official relevant podcast stamp of approval to Guy Fieri on this yeah, one. Yeah, Guy Fieri is what happens when a Joe Exotic goes right. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> He's sort of the chaotic We've seen, we've seen what happens when people. Joe Exotic goes wrong. We've seen a lot of cases of that, but when it goes right, you get a Guy Fieri. Now, Tyler, there's one side note in this I don't. I feel like is you should note that the $500 will not be paid in, in cash or, or what we think of as standard currency, but it will be in vats of donkey sauce. And right now, the <laughs> The the trading like it's like it's like the exchange, it's like right? the barrel of oil. Donkey sauce rates are at an all time low, so you're going to get about ten to twelve vats. Uh, but, if yeah. but, it, but if you're a citizen of Flavor Town, that can go along. Oh, well, that's that's a that's a mortgage payment right there. Mortgage five hundred dollars at donkeys. No, I'm just joking. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I feel like Guy Fieri's a pretty good sport about this. He seems like a legit great dude. So he good on like, him, he man. Like seriously, dude. seriously, seriously like real talk. Dude. Yeah. Mediocre chef. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good on him, man. Um, 
All right. So number one this week. All right. This drive-in church worship guide is real. All right. I hope you all saw this. Uh, not every church is going virtual service for pandemic season. Some churches are opting for a drive-in service situation, repurposing old drive-in movie theaters to host church while maintaining social distancing guidelines. It's a pretty good option. And as West Liberty, Ohio's first church of God proved, you can even find ways to interact here. This was reported on by local news. This church handed out an their program ways that you could continue to interact with the the service and each other with your car so they um i'll give you an example i'll just read some of these to you here uh parking lights on means i am ready to worship headlights on means i'm singing i am singing along uh right right turn signal is raising one hand in worship wipers on is raising both hands in worship <laughs> honk is like a preach it honk is just like a preach it amen yeah okay right on yeah but you gotta be careful because left turn so right hand right turn signal is raising one hand left turn is i want to ask for forgiveness of my sins that so seems it's very important specific, to get that one right very specific yeah yeah <laughs> Hazard lights is I am in need of prayer and spraying washer fluid means I would like to be baptized. As far as I can tell, this is sincere. This was offered up sincerely. And I I laughed at it pretty hard, but I can also kind of see like, is this why not? I want to hear the case. I want to hear the sincere case for it because I think one might exist. I mean, look, man, I feel like you drive in church presents obvious communication barriers for people in their cars. I mean, but mm-hmm. it's last time I checked, you can be like i think the only thing that is like i think this is was made in you know in uh like like an honest i want to give like a it's an earnest yeah yeah, i want to give you know then the benefit of the doubt here but i do feel like the the thing that i feel like kind of uh when you raise your hand to worship at a church right at least from my understanding Mm -hmm. i'm not doing it so that other people can see me raising my hands right i'm doing it because it's an expression to god not to Mm -hmm. the people in the rows behind me right you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. this is an expression of worship and, and surrender to god and it I can still raise my hands if I'm sitting in my car seat. You know what I mean? Like if my neighbor might have to look through my window to see me, but I'm not doing it for my neighbor. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm doing it to, to, to as a expression to God. So, uh, you know, but I do think it's, I think it's interesting how the church is adapting. Uh, but I want to see like Joel Houston or like a worship leader, uh, like leading worship and being like, all right, I want to hear every, everyone now. Oh, <laughs> Oh, every hazard light on! Every hazard light on! Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> How would you like to be the one person who got like the novelty honk that you have yeah. to use now? Like during a really beautiful part in this, or a really meaningful, like powerful moment, and then you just have the one person in the background but like when the when the when the pastor really brings it everyone just fires up the car alarm you know <laughs> yeah it's it's really powerful man every car there is some there's the some car privilege here because what about the motorcycle folks Do yeah. they just not get a are they yeah. just not allowed to yeah exactly to worship yeah thought it's, about that yeah well bam boom they still boom. count Boom, mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's. It's the hot list. The hot list. It's sizzling.
Stay tuned when we come back. Lecrae joins us. Let me go. I've been going through so much. I swear these people let my throat. That's on me. That's on mamas. On my mama, I can't take no more. So miss me with that drama. Get your commas. Get your red straight. Get your facts straight. Hold me down. I rise up on her like the tax rate. Keep my past straight. Never lack faith. God been working. They gon' have to hold me back, man. And tell them, tell them, tell them. You can pick a side if you wanna. You already know who I bro with. You don't want no problems with me. If you're listening to Set Me Free by Lecrae. So Lecrae is a multi-Grammy award-winning platinum-selling artist, New York Times best-selling author, entrepreneur, speaker, thought leader, and philanthropist, and co-owner and president of Reach Records, multi-hyphenate guy. He's his 2014 album Anomaly debuted at number one on Billboard 200. And with nearly 100,000 copies sold through the first week, the first album to top both Billboard 200 and the gospel charts simultaneously. To date, he has sold more than 3 million copies, been nominated for five Grammys, including a win for Best Gospel Album, 15 Dove Awards, one Billboard Music Award, and received both a Soul Train Music Award and a BET Hip Hop nomination. Lecrae will release his ninth studio album, Restoration. On May 15th here in 2020, the album will feature artists across all genres, including John Legend and Kirk Franklin. Uh, I uh, loved getting to talk to Lecrae about his time. Uh, he spent some time in Israel, which was a big part of the inspiration for this new album, Restoration. And that was one of the first things I wanted to talk about is, is what was it about that time over in Israel that, uh, that he spent that was so impactful and powerful for him and the other guys who went along on that trip? Here's what he had to say. I think it's just seeing things that you've read about come to life. You know, the best way I can articulate it is you know something is real um, and you've spent time studying it and looking at it in a book and then you see it and it's almost like, oh, wow. You know, as if you were... um, it's almost as if you, you, you know, you saw something come to life that you thought was, you believed it was real, but now you know it's real. You're right. You, you see where King David lives, you know, you see where King David lives. You see these places. Strengthens your faith. It just, I don't know, it adds a special moment to what you believe and what you, um, what you, you know, have built your life around. So then I wanted to know about uh, restoration itself. Uh, why why this title, restoration? What was it about that word and really about the process that was so compelling and, and was so uh, convinced him that this was really going to be the, not only the title, but the theme of his new album? I was experiencing it. You know, I, I, was, I was at home, I was journaling and, and I wanted to, I wanted God to restore me. I was so broken, man. Just, just, just beat up scarred, uh, plenty of childhood trauma that I hadn't dealt with, identity issues, depression, anxiety, you know, just all those particulars, you know, where it's kind of like you're in such bad shape that, you know, um, you're suicidal and, and, and you, you don't want to continue on, but at the same time, you don't want to leave your family in despair. So, you're just saying I there I'm so low, I'm at the bottom of the bottom that um 
I have to believe you can fix me. And when you come to the realization that no matter how low you are, um, God can restore you, it becomes your hope. It becomes your beacon light. You just get excited about it because you, you know he can do it. And that's what he's historically done with the Jonah, with the Job, with the David. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so you, it just gives you hope. One thing I've always appreciated about Lecrae, he's pretty open about his mental health. He, he talks about not only the struggles that he's had, but the ways that he's found some level of, of uh, being able to manage and, and deal with some of the mental health issues he's dealt with. And I wanted to know, especially right now, when a lot of us are trapped inside, unable to really escape a lot of our, our own mental health issues, some of us for the first time in a while, I just wanted to know what's helping him. What, what have been some of his best, really practical tips for dealing with things like depression and, and for others of us, things like anxiety. Anxiety, what helps? And and I actually these were these are very practical, and, and I uh, I hope that you start implementing them into your own daily quarantine routine. I'm going to. You know, God has provided means for healing and restoration, and so it's, it can be supernatural. It can be a prayer, and wow, look at this, everything's different. But but oftentimes, you know, He's present in science. He's present in in us you know, taking the time to read uh, books by um, doctors, you know, who can can walk us down some healthy paths. And so what I would say for people is I'm a big advocate of meditation, um, which is not like some kind of, uh, you know, weird mystical thing, but it's, it's literally um, clearing your mind of the clutter that is overwhelming you, whether those are anxious thoughts or sad thoughts, it's just taking the time to clear your mind. And, if you, and, it, and it could be spiritual. It could be a time where you're reflecting on how close God is to you, but mostly it's clearing your mind of the clutter. And then, and then I'm also a fan of mediation, which is, is therapy is sitting with someone, you know, even in this time where you can do telemedicine. And, and I was just on a call, you know, I do once a month check-ins, with my therapist and just, uh, just seeing how everything is going and how you're processing because they, they can give you insight and wisdom. And then finally, uh, medication. Um, if you were diabetic, you wouldn't say, oh, I can't take insulin. God doesn't want me to do that. That God has provided a means for you to be healthy through insulin. And, and same way with medication, you may need medication and that's the way he's providing wholeness and healing uh, for your mind. Um, but, but if, but, but just simply practically, I would say, make sure you're working out. Um, it, it releases the endorphins, even if it's just some pushups, we do something it's helpful for your mind. Also, uh, try to eat as healthy as you possibly can, you know, avoid a lot of extra carbs and sugar. It's good for your mind. And then, and then lastly, you know, focus on things that, that in, bring about encouragement and freedom and life and our life giving instead of focusing on the negatives consistently. May 15th is when restoration comes out. Uh, and I wanted to know for people who've been fans of Lecrae listening to him for a long time now, uh, what sets this album apart? What makes it different? Uh, why, why should we be more, uh, more hyped about this, uh, or in a, hyped about this one in a new and different way? Here's what he said. Uh, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, this is probably the, the most vulnerable I've ever been. This is the freest I've ever been. This is, I think I started off in my career very idealistic. And then when your ideals crumble, you become cynical. And then you heard some cynical music from me. 
And now when idealism meets cynicism, you get realism. And I'm just real. You know, I'm just, I just, I see things in a real perspective and, you know, God is real and, and pain is real. And I'm just not afraid, you know, there's nothing I, that can happen to me from being honest about things now. So, you know, you want to know what happened when I met Beyonce? I don't mind. I'll tell you, you know, let's put it on out. Do you want to know what happened? You want, you want to know what it feels like when you, when you, when you win a Grammy? Uh, you you go back home to your dream house and and your marriage is falling apart. I, I'm gonna tell you about it. You know, let me tell you about it uh, via music. Um, and so uh, that's just where my plane has landed, and I'm I'm healthier than I've ever been, and and um, and that's what you're gonna hear in the music. Looking forward to that album. Looking forward to the the documentary that will be released along with it. And of course, there's a book coming out as well. Uh, that was Lecrae. Restoration will be out May 15th. When we come back, our Quarantine Rex genre edition. listening to stardew it's the new one from purity ring all right we're back with another round of quarantine rex uh this is some of the stuff that we're watching and enjoying while non-tiger we're on king. lockdown non-tiger we're king. doing it we've got non-tiger king edition uh, i think you've heard our thoughts on that one we're doing another round of genre picks where jesse and i each pick a genre and uh and tell you to, to run amok and there something that you can enjoy watching jesse what, what genre did you go with this week okay i went with sort of an obscure genre but all the three films that i'm going to recommend are found on netflix and the genre i picked are poker movies now no matter what your moral feelings are about uh face cards and gambling uh <laughs> no I, you know, I know different people have different feelings about those it 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 does provide a very interesting um, uh, extreme um, you know, plot device to understand the human condition. And so real quick, the movies I want to recommend it one is sort of the OG poker movie rounders. Most people have seen it's worth a rewatch, especially given the rise of Koppelman and Levine, the duo who wrote this film mm-hmm. and now are arguably two of the most important filmmaker uh, uh, screenwriters in prestige television. Would you agree with that statement, Tyler, about Koppelman and Levine? Oh, I think they're yeah, huge. Huge. You know, they, 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 this was one of their big breakouts. It stars Matt Damon. It's, it's John Malkovich. It's a really fun, great movie, uh, about, uh, friendship and loyalty and moral compromise. The movie's rounders. It's great. The second one I want to uh, recommend is a movie that kind of flew under the radar, had a weird release. So a lot, not a lot of people saw it despite it having like a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and the two stars are Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn to, you know, very different actors. I think Ryan Reynolds is more known for his sort of Ryan Reynolds persona where Ben Mendelsohn really dives into characters. Um, but that juxtaposition works in this movie about a down and out gambling addict who befriends a, a kind of a, a drifter that seems to have it all together, but is really kind of suffering through his own moral darkness as they both try to pull each other into redemption. Uh, fascinating film. It's a breezy film. Uh, one that is it's, it's pacing and it's plot are really unlike any, a lot of movies you you've seen. It's called Mississippi grind and it's about, 
two guys who go on the road on riverboats to try to win back money and try to win back some redemption for themselves. Uh, the final movie is a, a movie starring Jake Johnson. Tyler, I know you're a big Jake Johnson fan. I do like Jake. Yeah. Yeah. I like him a lot. <laughs> in addition to starring, I feel like, but I like this movie. Yeah. And in addition to, I think most famously starring in, in the show, new girl, he's also mm-hmm. starred in a handful of sort of the mumble core ish in the, uh, films, uh, you know, like drinking buddies comes to mind about, about people who work in a, a romance that blooms in, in a brewery. Um, but, uh, in, in win it all, Jake Johnson kind of plays a down and out again, sort of a degenerate gambler who, whose own moral compromise, um, puts him in a, a, an impossible situation. And he too must fight for redemption and find out what's truly important in life. The movie's called Win It All. It's it's on net. It's a it was a Netflix original. Tyler, you saw Win It All. You, you agree? Did you mm-hmm. like it? Did oh, you yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's a poker yeah, movie, I, but but it's it's a good one. It's a, it's a great poker movie. It's a really fun. Uh, it it's a it's sort of, it's one of it's a weirdly like high stakes but kind of low. Uh, I would say low urgency movie, yep. and yeah, as, often, as these movies often are. Like it, it, it's you're just not wanting for lack of a of an escalating plot or anything like that, but it does it with that, but it does it very quietly, which makes it more effective in a lot of ways. For yeah, sure. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Tyler, what are your recommends, um, man? So I decided to go with, uh, I decided to go with uh, superhero movies, but some of the underrated super, some of the superhero movies that are, these aren't in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, these, these came out, uh, most of them came out uh, uh, pre like kind of the takeover and all, uh, but there are some gems they, they weren't all bad back before, uh, before Batman begins in Iron Man. Uh, one of which, and this would actually be a, re- a fun one. If you haven't seen it with your whole family that you really could, it's called sky high and uh it's an old disney it's an older disney movie i think it's from 2005 and it's about a um it's about a school like a high school for teen superheroes the superhero parents and their family kind of like if the incredible sent their kids off to school to learn how to be superheroes uh and it's a it's it's it got kind of uh overlooked because it doesn't look the trailer was bad the costumes don't look good in the promotional art but the script is really really tight and solid and it's a it is a fun one uh it's totally kid friendly it's kind of made for kids but i think adults would find it to be a lot more rewarding than they would expect uh if all you were looking at was the was reading was the back of the box of the blu-ray i'd recommend that one to you uh, another one that I wanted to recommend uh, from 2012 was Chronicle. Uh, this was directed by Josh Trank. It was an early uh, Michael B. Jordan yeah. movie, uh, kind of early on in his career. Also got Dane DeHaan and Alex Russell in there. And it's sort of a, a found footage type film about three teen boys who accidentally get superpowers. And the found footage thing actually works pretty well for it. And what I like about this one is how well it understands uh, like young male friendship and the the tension and the camaraderie and the competition that can really easily pop up when you're uh, a high school boy. How you and your friend, how easily friendships can go awry and turn to violence and the effect that that has on your friendships. I thought it was a pretty savvy move, especially for the the people involved. Josh Trank uh, kind of famously had a has flamed out as a director since then, but this was an early, really promising movie. And I hope he can get back to that level yeah. of filmmaking. I was going to say, you want to talk was, about a, it was excellent, a, a complicated filmmaking duo, jo- duo, Josh Trank and Max Landis, uh, you know, very, yeah, two, very complicated legacies, who, very young filmmakers, but also mm-hmm. very complicated, you know? 
Yeah, there's a whole lot of behind the scenes Hollywood drama that you can read up on on your own if you want to. But here for Chronicle, what they did worked pretty well. And then the last one I want to do, uh, probably familiar, a lot of people have heard of it, but I feel like it's gotten really overlooked, is the original uh, Christopher Reeve Superman, the 1978 Superman movie, the first one, which was extremely popular at the time, very well reviewed, but is obviously forgotten now with the suit. And I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it in a while, go back to it again. If your kids haven't seen it, uh, fire it up for them. It it still still slaps. It still bangs. It's really tightly plotted, really really well done uh, I encourage people to to check that out and it's easy to find now too that's not and Christopher Reeves was one of the best casting decisions of any of these before Robert Downey Jr. before Chris Evans before uh, before Robert Pattinson uh, Christopher Reeves really nailed the part in a rare and unique way it's a smart movie smartly made movie um, and I think with that, we will wrap it up. Hey, many thanks to Lecrae for joining us. Restoration, the book uh, and the movie and the documentary will be out on May 15th. Uh, and also, hey, why, as long as you're on our Apple podcast page, uh, take a listen to some of our other podcasts. We've got Relevant Daily there, for example, to try to bring you the top three stories of the intersection of faith and culture, Monday through Friday, about 10 minutes at a time. And uh, hey, with that, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jim String. I'm Jesse Carey. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great and safe weekend. for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe Relevant Podcast Network.